This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. It was, I had such a great time, but there was an individual who approached me at the end and he said there was about 20 people surrounding me asking questions. What's wrong with marrying my Gentile girlfriend? So I said, I don't know if this is the right place to talk to, about this, but I invited him to come to my house one night over a beer. We spoke about it for about three hours. And then two weeks later, I got the following text. Hello, Rabbi. The girl and I are no longer together, so I suppose, it's, I suppose it's back to the drawing board, but now I can at least aim to stick the pond that has Jewish fish in it. So thank God. That was good. Um, yes. First of all, thank you, Jody, for inviting me. I do spend the majority of my day, probably from 12 p.m. to 1 a.m. and on, speaking to people either in New York or throughout the world on WhatsApp video with any kind of question relating to dating. So if you need me, my cards are here. You can Google me. It's easy to find me under Dr. Jack Cohen. Um, I came tonight because I want to share some thoughts with you as to what I'm seeing. Nothing beats empirical experience. But first, you know, when, they ha- when the mission was put together, there was a concept say, uh, by the rabbis that you should tell a few jokes before you get into the serious stuff. So here we go. A Jewish town had a shortage of men of marriageable age, so they had to import men from other towns. One day a groom-to-be arrived at a tr- on a train and two mothers-in-law started to fight over him, waiting which one is going to gra- grab this guy. Each one was claiming ownership of the boy. A rabbi was called in, Rabbi, you got to solve the problem. After a few minutes of thought, he said, you know what, we'll take a cue from Solomon, from Shlomo. If you both want the groom, we'll cut him in half and give each one of you a half of the guy. <laughs> and the first woman replied, if that's the only solution, Rabbi, then do what you have to do. And the rabbi responded, Aha, that's the real mother-in-law. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, ouch. <laughs> Two, a woman scorned. Joshua is mega rich and is always lavishing expensive presents on his wife, Naomi. But today Joshua is in big trouble. He has forgotten that it's their wedding anniversary. Oy vey. She looks at him with her eyes and says, in a very serious manner, Listen, Joshua, tomorrow there better be something for me outside the garage that goes from zero to 200 in no time at all. You got that? Or else. Naomi gets up in the morning the next day, opens her front door, and finds a small package outside the garage. She opens it and finds, of all things, a brand new scale for her bathroom. Wait, zero to 200? (laughs) Okay. Let's move on. Oh, here's another one. It's good, cute. Little Moishi Rosenberg at his cousin Hadassah's wedding asks his mom, Mommy, why does the bride wear white on her wedding day? Moishi's mom replies, the bride is wearing white because she's so happy. And this is the happiest day of her life. Moishi thinks about it, he strokes his head and he says, Well then, why is the groom wearing black? Okay. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Let's start by asking a question. What's creating the upsurge of divorces in the Jewish world? We know that it exists out in the real world, but historically, at least for the Orthodox world or for the religious world, we didn't have as many as we have today. So I'd like to just review what's going on. What's creating this pattern? Number one, I think you all can guess, is disposable society. Who fixes appliances anymore? Who fixes anything anymore? Toaster ovens, microwaves, alarm clocks are just tossed out in the garbage. Years ago, when I was growing up, there was a on the side of every major thoroughfare, you could find a guy who fixed things. Service center. That doesn't exist anymore. That's all gone. Our kids lose their clothing and they know they could have it replaced. And this thinking has seeped into our attitudes towards the people in our lives. 
You know how it is. What's the big deal? I'll get a divorce and find another one. There are a lot of men out there. There are a lot of women out there. Look at all my friends. It is not so simple. I see divorced people day and night. It's no picnic. You wouldn't want to trade places with them. Try to get it right the first time. And so when we see relationships as disposable, whether they are friendships or marriage, that sacred bond loses its integrity. It becomes unglued. And the mindset is it doesn't pay to fix anything, has seeped into our lives. So instead of working at it, we look for the exit door. Two, instant gratification. You know, I could take a picture right now, and I could send it to my friends in London or Jerusalem in two seconds. Remember the days when you had to take the, the, the film and wait three, four, five days to get the film? Who would imagine having that today? But that's the mentality we have. We want it now. Akshav. If I can't get it now, it's not worth it. But that doesn't work with relationships. It takes time. They have to be incubated. There's no such thing as instant results. Love grows with time. The more we nourish the relationship, the greater we feel invested in the partnership. And that's important. Number three, fear of missing out. Another good one today, FOMO. People are too busy counting everyone else's blessings to appreciate their own. He's got it better. This one posts her Acapulco trip. This one her Miami Beach trip, etc. So I'm always thinking, someone has it better than me. But what happened to Perkavot? Who is the one who's really wealthy? That's the person who's happy with their lot in life. And so one thing I tell, and I'd be happy to do this, I tell everyone that I mentor, I send them a little WhatsApp. This is my thank you card. Please do me a favor. Say it every morning. Anyone who wants it, just see me after and I'll give you my phone number. I'll send it to you. It's critical that you have a gratitude session, just five or ten minutes a day, to be able to look at your life and see all the good that you have. So you stop thinking that someone else has it better than you. Make a conscious mental U-turn. Stop looking at others and work on being satisfied with all that you've been given. See the good in your life and stop thinking that everyone else has better than you. And four, one of the other reasons and the last reason why we see more an uptick in divorce is we're living in a disconnected world. We've become used to communicating through texts instead of speaking. Singles have told me that dating hit rock roadblock when they began texting instead of talking. We don't talk anymore. So instead, we just send out blips. And that has really diminished the quality of relationships. The greatest gift we can give ourselves is to put down our devices and pay more attention to those around us. Okay. Ten days... Ten, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. Ten ways to date the wrong person. Number one. You pick the wrong person because you expect that person to change. Wrong. Not happening. Classic mistake. You don't marry potential. The old classic adage, what you see is what you get, is never more appropriate than in dating. You're not changing anyone. Don't go into any kind of relationship thinking, I'll get him to where I want, or i get her to what I want. That's not happening. Guess what? They're thinking the same thing. So, it's not going to work. If you can't be happy with the person, the way he or she is now, forget it. Don't get married to that person. As a wise psychologist wisely put it, you can actually expect people to change after they're married for the worse. So when it comes to the other person's spirituality, character, personal cleanliness, hygiene, communication skills, personal habits, make sure you can live with that person as they are in front of you now. Number two, 
You date the wrong person because you focus more on chemistry than on character. I got a phone call, very attractive woman from Buenos Aires yesterday. And we're talking, what's, what's happening? The guy of my dreams came into my life. He flew into Buenos Aires from Miami. Good looking boy, Jewish boy. She's Jewish. I said, oh, thank God, they're both Jewish. And he's living in South Beach. We had a great time. We went away to have, we, we met at a wed, my friend's wedding in Buenos Aires. We went away skiing, etc., etc. Relationship got a little intimate. Whatever, fine. So they decide that she's going to fly into Miami. She flies in to Miami for two weeks. He didn't touch her, didn't even talk to her. And she's wondering, what happened, Rabbi? This is what happens. Chemistry ignites the fire, but good character keeps it burning. So I said to her, would you learn anything about his character, his values, his hashkafa? Hashkafa is the Hebrew word for glasses. Comes from the word, right? Mishkafayim, hashkafa, right? That's the way he's looking. Where is he looking? He didn't bother. Rabbi, he was so handsome. Is that, is that what you're looking for? Well, he treated you like garbage. Can't you see that? And then she sends me the picture of the guy. I said, I can tell you in two seconds this guy's a player. <laughs> Come on. You know? The I'm in love syndrome is usually I'm in lust. Attraction is there, but have you carefully checked out the person's character. That's key. That's the glue. The emotional connection is built on character. So what am I looking for? Here are four qualities of character. Humility. Does this person believe that doing the right thing is more important than personal comfort? I want to see values in that person. Two, kindness. Does this person enjoy giving pleasure to other people? Wow. It's beyond his orbit or her orbit. How does he or she treat people she doesn't have to be nice to? Does he or she do volunteer work? That's one thing I ask a lot of people when they sit in front of me or I WhatsApp with them anywhere in the world. Do you do chesed? I want to know, do you care about other things other than you? Isn't that what the first shidduch was all about? When Eliezer went to look for Abraham, Abraham, and he put down the stipulation. The woman's got to give me water and give water to my camels and to my servants. Right? Do you do chesed? That shows me that you have character. Responsibility. Can I depend on this person to do what they say they're going to do? I've had three or four cases in the last month where girls got married to guys who didn't get out of bed once they got married. They sat there all day. <laughs> Happiness. Does he like himself or herself? Does she like herself? Does he or she enjoy life? Are they emotionally stable? Critical. One of the things you know I believe in very strongly is that you create what's called the top 10 needs list when you're dating. So that when you date, you're not wasting your time. What do I need to be happy? It's not about glamorous, it's not about good looking. These are important and I will tell you, I will never excuse physical attraction. It's on my list as a requirement. It doesn't have to be a model, a cover of Cosmopolitan or GQ, but you got to be attractive. But on the other hand, it can't be just that. Do they enjoy life? So do they, do they have what we call in Hebrew, Simcha Sachayim, Joie de vivre, zest for life. The last thing you want to do is be in a relationship with someone where you're living on the same roof and that person is depressed or morose. That's a prescription for death. You need, and it's important, to search for someone who sees the, the world as the glass half full. There will be prom- challenging days in life. 
There'll be days when you're confronted with all types of issues. You need a partner who knows how to get off their duff and bounce back. That's important. That's critical. And are they emotionally stable? Now, that is a parsha, or as we say, a chapter to itself. You know, in terms of addictions and all types of... And Apple, by the way, unfortunately, it has hit all the aspects of the Jewish world. Whether it's internet or whatever it may be. We have these issues today. Addictions and borderline personality issues and obsessive compulsive disorder. That... I could lecture on for a while, but let's leave it this way. You've got to know how to communicate effectively. I'll try to touch on that a little bit. So that you can elicit or solicit the information that you need to determine if the person has emotional disturbance. Number three. You pick or date the wrong person because... I'm sorry, guys, forgive me. The man doesn't understand what a woman needs most. So this, girls, you can tune out. If you don't want to, just for this point, it's for the guys. Men and women have unique emotional needs. And more often than not, it's the man who doesn't get it. Jewish tradition places the onus on the man to understand the emotional needs of a woman and to satisfy them. It broke my heart that a friend of mine, who is a colleague of mine, came to see me today after he was embarrassed to call me for three or four days to tell me that his wife is asking for a divorce after 30 years. And um, the reason why she's citing that is she feels an emotional and has always been feeling an emotional disconnect. So it's important that we understand that there's a rule in life. Women are emotional, men are visual. And it's important that we spend the time to nourish the emotional connection. And that's done through communication. The need of a woman or the unique need of a woman is to be loved, to feel that she's the most important person in her husband's life. The husband needs to give her consistent quality intention. I know it's a testing process. It's challenging today. We live in a very busy world. So many things tugging at us. So many things tugging at our time and our attention. However, you're not going to be excused if the relation hits rock bottom because you were not able to keep your eye on the ball in terms of communicating and being there and giving quality time and putting the device away at dinner time and at breakfast. Four, you choose or date the wrong person because you don't share common life goals and priorities. That's a big one. There are three basic ways you can connect with your significant other. That is chemistry and compatibility, common interests and common life goals. Which requires that you ask thorough questions when you're on dates and get to know the person. Perhaps I'll take a break. I know I was going to do it later, but perhaps we can discuss some of those questions. Because I think it's important. Because what develops emotional connectivity is solid communication. When you can dig down. I had a Sephardic girl come to see me. After 33 dates, 33 dates, that's six months or something like that, was clueless if the guy was right for her. So I made a top 10 list. He didn't meet one of them. I said, what have you been talking about? (coughs) Practically nothing. Weather, Trump, this and that, but nothing important. Nothing of value. So let's go through some questions. What are some things about yourself that you're proud of? What does it mean for you to be Jewish? What are your goals in life? What would you like to accomplish in the next five years? How have you grown as an individual in the last five years? 
What are some of the challenges you've had to face in life and how have you dealt with them? Who's your best friend? What do you look for in a friend? What quality endears you to your friends? How ambitious are you? And I'm not saying you're going to hit them with this on day one. Far from that. But it gives you an idea to explore that in order to be able to build a great relationship, it starts with delving and building a depth to that relationship. What would you like to change about yourself? And like we said, are you involved in any organizations or chesed or doing acts of, uh, of kindness? What's your Shabbos table like? What would you like it to be when you're married? What does marriage mean to you? What are you looking for in a spouse? What are you bringing into the relationship yourself? So, it's critical that we learn how to really explore that area. Now, I think our friend in Buenos Aires fits the next one. You choose the wrong person because you get physically intimate too quickly. Self-explanatory. Okay, next. It's not necessary to take a test drive in order to find out if the couple is physically compatible. If you do your homework and make sure you're intellectually and emotionally compatible, you don't have to worry about it. One of the studies done on divorce and compatibilities at the intimate arena is never cited as the main reason why people divorce. So it's not in the Parsha at all. Six, you pick the wrong person because you don't have a deep emotional connection with this person. It's very superficial. Meaning that we're not, we don't care if he drives a Bentley or a Mercedes. You should be impressed by the qualities of creativity, loyalty, and determination. Ask yourself such questions as, do I trust this person? Seven, you pick the wrong person because you choose someone with whom you don't feel emotionally safe. Beware. Do I feel calm, peaceful, and relaxed with this person? Or do I feel agitated? Can I be myself and express myself with this person? Does he or she make me feel good about myself? Or do they dump on me? Do they destroy my self-esteem? Do you have a really close friend who does make you feel that same way so you know what to compare it to? Make sure the person that you're dating and considering marrying should give you that same feeling. Are they trying to control you? Be aware for that. Controlling behaviors are a sign of an abusive person. How many relationships go bust because of that? Be on the lookout for someone who's trying to change you. There's a big difference between controlling and making suggestions. A suggestion is made for your benefit. A controlling statement is made for his or her benefit, not yours. Number eight, you date the wrong person because you don't put everything on the table. Anything that bothers you, you better get it out in the open now. Very important. Bring it up for discussion. Bringing up the uncomfortable stuff is the only way to evaluate how the, well the two of you are communicating, negotiating, and working together. Over the course of a lifetime, there'll be difficulties. You have to know now before making a commitment. Can you resolve those differences and feel compromised that, and create a compromise that works for both of you? So, don't hide anything because later on you'll have to deal with it. Number nine, you date the wrong person because you use the relationship to escape from personal problems and unhappiness. And I've seen this often. People jump into marriage thinking it's going to solve their problems. If you're not happy and you're single, you'll be unhappy and married. Marriage will not fix personal, psychological, and emotional problems. If anything, marriage will only make it worse and exacerbate it. 
If you're not happy with yourself and your life, take responsibility. Get to a mentor or a therapist now. Fix the problem. Work out the bug. You'll feel better and your future spouse will thank you. Number 10, you pick the wrong person because that person is involved in a triangle. What does that mean? To be triangulated means that person is dependent on something else besides you. That means that he or she are addicted to their work, addicted to something else. You're not the most important thing in their life. As an orthopedic surgeon, I had once designed a line of art supports. I wanted to show it to the foot care buyer at Walgreens, and I did. He says to me, I never, can never get you, Dr. Jack, 9 to 12, where are you? I said, I happen to teach in university. Sometimes I teach Feisha Torah, and I taught for uh, or Sameach, and, or Yeshivas. I teach young men and women how to behave in marriage. Really? He's an Irish guy with his two Irish secretaries, you know, waspers can be. Well, give us the elevator pitch. Okay. I said, Hashem, I need you now. Yeah. Okay, so thank God. I told him something that he was really impressed with. I said, I'm going to teach you Rob. His name is Robert Negev. Two words in Hebrew. Makom Rishon. First place. If you treat your spouse, this is what I teach my students. Like first place, home run. That's it. That's the key. First place. If they feel that they're first place with you, you made it. But if it's a triangulated situation where there's something else going on, you're not the most important priority, beware. Okay. So, we need a strategy. Without a strategy, we're going to have a problem. Let's get down to the physical stuff, which most people here are not suffering from, but examine yourself physically. Are you the best that you can be? Can you improve your appearance? Maybe visit a gym, see a nutritionist, update yourself in any way. By the way, it's not uncommon. People come up, come to my house. I say, run up to my bedroom, please grab a tie. Take a shower, whatever it is, you know. Get it together. And on and on. So, you know, I give my resources out. How's your attitude? Warmth appeals to people, so learn to smile. How many times have I told people, go home, close the door of your bedroom, look at the mirror and smile for me 50 times. It's important. These are important micro skills. And they're critical to making you an effective communicator. It's important. And plan a strategy, meaning that, like I said before, create a top 10 list of what you need in an individual. Remember, you never get a second chance to make a great first impression. A rabbi went to one of his big supporters in Wall Street. Right? And he was waiting to be seen. Meanwhile, the secretary took care of him hand and foot. He was so impressed, she came out, offered him coffee, and then offered him tea, and then she walked him in. And he says to the, to the proprietor, says, wow, she's an amazing secretary. Not a secretary, she's a DFI. A distinguished first impression individual. We want that first impression to be excellent. So we call her DFI, distinguished first impression. So we have to make sure that our first impression that we make is, is great. So, again, your communication skills, talk about, think about that. I, a lot of what I do, believe it or not, simulated dates. I act as the girl or as the guy. I want to hear what you're talking about. And we'll do this, I do this often with people on WhatsApp video, with live, etc. Because I want to see if, you, if you're communicating effectively. Now, can we take a step back and ask the question, why do we need to get married? 
Why should anyone get married? Why would you date someone until you're convinced that he or she's the one and ruin it all by getting married? Why would you begin sharing a bedroom, bathroom sink, family occasions, bills, vacations, and pretty much everything else for the rest of your life? And just when your marriage begins to work out, you got a baby and kids, cost money, time, and all of your sleeping hours for the foreseeable future. Why would I want all that for? What's in it? And the answer is, the first mitzvah in the Bible, in the Torah, Purvu. God wants us to have family. The mitzvah to get married is so important, it's got a pivotal role. It's the number one kickoff mitzvah in the Bible. Perhaps I can share a beautiful story with you about a man who was on a plane with his children. And the way they, it worked out, they didn't get all seated in the same spot. So you have the man and his wife in the middle of a 747, whatever, and their kids are scattered about. Because the booking was last minute, they couldn't put their family into all into one area. As the flight progressed, the kids kept coming over to say hello to mom and dad. The man sitting next to dad was intrigued. And after the kids returned to the seats, he said, Are all those your children? He said, yes. The other man said, I don't have any kids. You want to know why I don't want to have children? He said, okay, if you want to share with me. Yeah, two strangers, passing time. The man told him a story. My wife grew up with an abusive mother and an alcoholic father. It was a difficult life, but she came through. Well, then, my, I, when I married my wife, we had a conversation, a rather serious one, discussing, should we have kids or not have kids? And then we came, boom, verdict. No kids. We felt that it would be immoral to have children. The world is such a horrible place, you know. So many wars, so much suffering starvation and cruelty. How can we bring children into the world, into such a world? So the man wasn't stupid. He thought for a few minutes and gave the following response. You know, you're right. The world can be a terrible place with wars, famines, and much suffering. And that's exactly why we want to have children, to make the world a better place. Right? It's true, the world can be cruel, but we humans are responsible to improve ourselves, and the next generation. By not having children, we're avoiding the problem. By having children, we're fixing the problem. Because according to Jewish philosophy or thought, one of the most important accomplishments is to create a family and improve this world. That's what it's about. You know, the Green Movement has a wonderful slogan we can apply here. Think globally, act locally. It's true for our planet, as it is true for our families. Let's just evaluate once more. Let's do a little statistical analysis. A young man and a woman marry. Now let's assume they have a small family. Two kids, that's all. And each of the kids has a small family of two kids, and as do all their descendants, an averaging of two children. In geometric progression, the number of descendants doubles in each generation, right? The couple has two kids, four grandchildren, eight great grandchildren, 16 great-grandchildren, and so on. Look where I'm going with this. After 10 generations, the couple has 1,024 descendants. Thank you. After 20 generations, you've got 1,048,576 descendants. After 24 generations, a mere 600 years, this couple which started with how many kids? Two, right? have now produced 
777,216 descendants. That's close to the Jewish population of the entire world today. When you decide to marry, you're making much more than a personal decision. It's a decision that affects the entire Jewish nation. Another reason why we want to get married. married marriage makes you a better you. As my rabbi, Rick Miller would say, you're single, you don't answer to anybody. You can do what you want, when you want. Marriage is about humbling yourself to someone else. Giving in, developing skills of getting along. You know what they say? Imunah means faith in God. How do you taste, has, test someone's faith? How they behave at home. Because that's where you have to rub elbows with someone else. And that's where someone else's priorities may be more important than yours. And will you be able to lower yourself? And will you act as part of a team? So marriage is a critical you know, framework that God uses to turn us into great people. And how do we know that? Because what's the term for my significant other in the Torah? Ezer Kenegdo. The helper that's opposing me. By opposing me, she or, or he opposes me, whatever it may be, we're now flexing our muscles. We're, we're in the weight room. And only by having resistance in life can I grow great. Challenges is what makes us great. Perhaps I can explain with a story. <clears throat> there was a wealthy American woman who was giving millions of dollars to the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces. So they decided to bring her in, true story, and fed her to honor her because of all the incredible amount of money she had given to support the IDF. And at the ceremony, on her behalf, they were, they were top brass of the Israeli army and all of the significant government officials. And she was taken to a recruiting base where the IDF would take its first recruits and start to train them. As she watched the soldiers running and jumping, crawling and lunging, throwing themselves from high beams, wading through deep mud pits and running up and down hills over a bumpy terrain, she was aghast. And she said, you know what, I'm donating a million dollars. And they asked her, the Israeli media, what motivated you to donate another million dollars? And she replied, after I saw what they were doing in the obstacle course, I want my money to go and flatten out the bumps and hills on the course so it won't be so difficult for the soldiers running over it. She missed the whole point. It's the obstacle courses of life that make us great. By avoiding the obstacle courses, we don't grow great. That's what life's about, the obstacle courses. Unfortunately, some people enter marriages a who-cares attitude. If this doesn't work out, I'll get divorced, take another shot at it. But that's not how it works. It may be easy to get into marriage, but it's extremely complicated to get out of one. Divorce is not simple, it's a war between both sides. Ultimately, they're both torn to pieces, financially and emotionally. Be careful who you date and who you marry. Remember, you're choosing your partner for life. And hopefully that's for a long time. Whom you marry 
influences every aspect of your life. From your perception of yourself to your ability to move forward in a productive way. You must feel good about yourself in order to feel good with someone else. Which means we've got to work on our self-esteem. Too many times people sit in front of me, down, down with themselves, down with the way they perceive themselves. Take stock of your talents and abilities. Your talents are those strengths that God gave you and the gifts you possess. Your abilities are the areas where you exhibit your talents. And every one of us has abilities. Some of us are ambitious, some of us are appealing, some of us are athletic, some of us are assertive. Whatever it may be, we all have abilities and we all have talents. Identify yourself as someone who possesses talents. Look at yourself as you're someone special. There's a concept in Hebrew, God created the world for me. That there's a unique role that I can play in this world. Visualize to maximize you. See yourself where you want to be, successful. Whether it's at work, whether it's as a husband, or a wife, mother, or father. Use your imagination to experience that. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. When you compare yourself to someone else, you're focusing on one part. For example, you feel ugly when you compare yourself to someone who's more beautiful than you. But her appearance is only one part of her life. You don't know the rest of her. There's a lot of things going on in people's lives. If you just want a little bit of it, come, I'll give you a chair and sit next to me. And here are the things that I have to listen to every day. I walk out of my office and I say to my wife, thank God I have what I have. I'll give you a classic example. I put out a video this summer because it was an organization that helps Jewish girls who are kidnapped by Arabs and takes them into the Arab villages. So this organization called Lev Achim did something very beautiful. They had an event in where over the summer we have what's called Tu Be'av, which is a time, which is really a good time to get married. There was going to be a prayer worldwide for half a million Jewish singles. And they asked 30 rabbis who deal with dating to put out videos. So I did one. And one of my friends got it, and he sent it to a friend of his. We know we're all in our high 50s. I don't care. I'll tell you how old I am. So. Anyway, so this woman lives in Manhattan, and she calls me up. Not particularly observant in any way. Can my daughter come and see you? I said, sure. How old is she? 33, but just not going for her rabbi. So she comes in to see me, sweet as can be. And we're talking, and she says, you know what? My parents are going to Italy next week for the 20th time. Don, I don't want to go. I'm done with this. I said, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. And in the process, she gives me a little of the bio. I could tell you how grandfather is worth four or five times Trump in terms of buildings. And I look at her and I said to her, her parents don't have to work. They retired probably 20 years ago. The whole, they spend the entire life just traveling. Anyway, got the inheritance. They're good to go. I said, look at you. You have all the money in the world and you're miserable. You don't have joy. You don't have a system of, a system of living. You don't have a purpose for living. I, who probably worth what you probably got with your first birthday, mm-hmm. right? I'm much happier than you. Why? Because I have a Torah that guides me, that I live for, that nourishes me emotionally. That makes me happy. That gives me fulfillment. So don't ever judge what's going on with someone else. By the way, thank God, this girl's in the Vayu Shalim right now, spending eight weeks in a beautiful program, enrolling in this, what's called the Beginner's Program, for people who don't know anything about Judaism. But it's Judaism that gives you the focus to live, the desire to live, 
to have a reason to live for, what we call in French, raison d'être. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Just to go to work and come back and go to work. What am I doing? What am I accomplishing? What am I, what am I giving back to this world? What is the root of love in Hebrew? Ahava is the word. What's the root? Hav. Does anyone know what the word hav means in Hebrew? Give. If I'm not giving, I'm not living. So it's all about giving. Why am I here? I'm here because I love what I do. And I want to try to help people get married. I want to give of my talents. And we all can do that in our own very unique ways. So forget about comparing yourself to anyone else. Analyze and strategize. Use your self-inventory. Think about your strengths. Next, make mistakes. Makes mistakes are the antithesis of success. Some people think, but that's not true. Mistakes are the path to success. Don't bash yourself for things you've done wrong, for relationships that you went into that were probably not the best for you, and call yourself inept, stupid, or other, anything negative. Instead say, I learned from this. There was a woman in the Bible called Hannah. She davened and davened until she got a son who grew up to be a giant, Samuel, Shmuel. In her prayer, it's called Tifilat Chana. She tells us something that we need to apply. Kinafalti kamti. Because I fell, I got up. It's my falls that create my successes in life. Isn't it what they say? Success is failure turned inside out. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things go wrong that you should never quit. So realize that mistakes are... So what's the takeaway? So many people come to see me overflowing with negative self-talk. All day, every day, they mull over their mistakes and become paralyzed by hopelessness. We have to realize that this focus will not only fail to repair anything from the past, but will rob us of our future as well. Mark today as a new beginning and go forward with the here and now. One of the big issues that we see is fear of commitment. I don't have to touch that one, right? <laughs> I have to touch that one. What's creating that? What are people afraid of? The million dollar question that we're asked about relationships is why can't he commit? Why can't she commit? You could probably find a million answers to this question. And some people say, I got, still got to go to graduate school, lack of money, reluctance, whatever it may be. Busy career, overbearing in-laws, I'm not looking for that. But if you come down to it and you boil it down to one word, it's fear. People in relationships are in the grip of two principal fears. The fear of abandonment and the fear of intimacy. Fear of abandonment. We don't let people into our lives because we're afraid we'll get rejected. Fear of intimacy. What does intimacy really stand for? Into me, you see. People don't want to let others into their lives. And that's a problem. We have to work on that. It can be overcome. Unfortunately, Walt Disney made finding love much harder. Well, there's this, the movies that we saw of Prince Charming waiting to sweep us off our feet. 
It tells us that women should be submissive and wait for the perfect guy to come around. Until he does, you're in a coma. Third, we're being informed that a kiss will make things better and boys are learning that he should be the strong, fearless rescuer and that the girl is nothing until he makes her perfect and all that can happen with a kiss. This translates later into life, into the belief that intimacy will be the panacea for all our woes. Having problems with your relationship? Well, nothing like a quick kiss can't fix. And we spend our, our life as children in a fantasy world. This world creates a kind of euphoria like a child's mind. And unfortunately, this, these concepts go and walk with us into our adult lives. As adults, we continue to search for someone to fulfill this rescuer fantasy syndrome. The movies we watch, the romance the novels we read, all reinforce and influence these thoughts. The description of relationships the media portrays gives us unhealthy, delusional, and unrealistic expectations. We can fix this distorted thinking by realizing no other person is all important, all powerful, all perfect. The, perfect, the enemy of perfect is good. You know the old expression, rather a cute story. Grandma is by the seashore. She's playing with her grandson, Shimmy, and he's got beautiful golden curls and a little Yankee hat on. When suddenly a huge, you know, gale comes, water, and swallows Shimmy up into the ocean. Grandma is beside herself. God, God, where's Shimmy? Please bring him back. She's crying, crying. And suddenly, a huge force of water comes and spits Shimmy right back on the seashore. Grandma's like beside herself, just, thank you, God, but where's the Yankee cat? <laughs> this is what's going on. Unfortunately, we've got to have it all. Or we make dismissive decisions. No, this is the day, the ideal, the point that I hear all the time. Not my look. How do you know what your look is? I don't get it. In my day and age, 30 years ago, we went out on blind dates. My wife was a blind date. If I trusted my friends, yeah, good looking girl, nice, interesting, whatever. We got, you know what the problem is? We have too much selection today. Way too much. And that's not a good thing. That is not a good thing. They did a study, I gotta tell you, an interesting study, in an upscale uh, supermarket. They had in one table 30 types of jam. And in another place, a couple of days later, in the same place, they had six types of jam. So, 60% of the people tried the one that had the, the 24, and only 30% tried the one that had six. But when it came time to buy, 70% bought at the table that had six, and only 5% bought at the one that had 24. So you see what goes on when there's too much selection. Be careful. You're always thinking, I can, try, I can always get someone better. I touched on this a little bit, but I think it's important to talk again. Emotional intimacy only happens when we deepen the connection in terms of our conversation. That's important. And it's important to have good micro skills. And that is sitting on a date with an open posture versus conflict. So don't do that. Arms uncrossed. Turn your body towards your partner. Make steady eye contact. Ask open-ended questions that encourage discussion like why, how. Obviously turn your cell phone off and give the person that you're with the gift 
of distraction-free time. Experts say that anywhere from 60 to 90% of our communication takes place non-verbally. Non-verbally. You owe it to that individual, to be fair. And this is all about eye-to-eye contact. Again, it's about, okay, exclusivity. Let me close with that. And maybe Years ago, if you told someone you were dating, that means you were exclusive to one individual. Today, it has become, I'm seeing someone. Which is, means that I can possibly be going with two or three people. And that is not a good thing. It doesn't give you clarity. Because you're always dancing in one room with one leg out the door. So it's, I can't emphasize enough that when people come to me and they want me to set them up, which I do a lot, I set a lot of people up. Okay, I want a multi-date this week. I don't believe in any of that. I won't allow it, I won't tolerate it. Because you know what? There's a concept in Hebrew. Tafasta meruba lo tafasta, tafasta meu tafasta. This is from the Talmud. You go for too much, you walk away with an empty hand. You go for something small, you come away with something. You want too much, and you want this, and you want that, and you, you can't be, ever be satisfied, you'll end up single and remaining single. So it's important that you limit yourself to one person at a time. Multiple dating, I said, is a no-no. Double dating is a waste of time. It's two people schmoozing with two people. It doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't allow you to really get to know the individual. Let me close with some key points. Keep it private. Don't talk about your dating life to too many people other than maybe your parent or one friend, your dating mentor, that's it. Because once it's ca- the cat's out of the bag, everyone's a part of your life. Not to mention, you don't need the eye in horror. So keep it private. Don't tell anybody. You have your one key person that you look to for advice, a mentor, a rabbi, a rabbitson, dear friend, smart individual, whatever it may be. Own your timing which is five to six days between dates, but don't spread it out more than that. Spice it up. When you go out on dates, change the venue all the time. It's not always out to dinner, out to dinner. Get to see the individual from different vantage points. Whether it's a paint night, or it's a, we'll play board games that night, or we'll have a walk under the Brooklyn Bridge, whatever it is. Each time you change the, the, the venue, you get to see the person from a different perspective. And they open up and they show you parts of them you never may have seen. And again, last but not least, let go of the ingratitude. The secret to happiness is appreciation. The minute we focus on all that we have, as opposed to what we're lacking, the world is a much brighter place. Thank you so much for granting me the time. It was an honor and pleasure to be here. Anybody who wants to speak to me, you can speak to me after or take a card. I'd be happy and delighted to help you. I have the privilege to dance at all your weddings very soon. 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 Are you opening for questions? Yeah, by all means. If anybody has a cue, shoot away. Or you can see me after. If you're... Go ahead. How would you handle overbearing I have a case like that right now. 
of a couple got married and her parents, the kids, maybe two months old, and they, they'll come over for Shabbat, they grab the kid, they wake them up, they have to be with them. And they call, they call up almost every day and they, and they had their first anniversary because they were upset with the son-in-law, they, they cut him out of the WhatsApp chat. Okay, first and foremost, it's very important that you put the word out to the parents that me and Sheila or me and Joey are a team. You're not going to break us up. You have to be loyal to each other and you have to support each other. And you don't allow the in-laws or the parents to ever speak negatively of your spouse. Let them know you have it under control. Obviously, Derek Eretz, Kadmala Torah, we are very big believers of Derek Eretz, of giving respect to our, our elders, but you have to also you know, put the line down and say that it's a case-by-case thing. And I, I probably would want to speak to you on a more private matter to find out exactly what's going on. But most importantly, loyalty to, to the dating partner or to the spouse is critical. That you never tolerate anything said against your spouse. Okay, no. You, you, you missed the. I'm sorry, there was a misunderstanding. You need to create a top 10 list of what you need. I do that for people. You understand? Maybe you'll sit with me and whatever. And I can, like, there's four or five hundred qualities out there. You need to sit down with yourself or have a third party sit with you and quiz you and then you, you, either you figure it out. Usually I do that for people. Where I help them draft a top ten list. Oh, I'm sorry. You mean as to the things that we, why we date the wrong people. I'll give it to you right now. Give me a second. My apologies. Yes. Okay. There is my website called drjackdating.com, which has videos on there. Or you can go to torahanytime.com. You can search Dr. Jack Cohen. There's over 330 lectures on dating. Okay. Um, number one. Oh, hold it. I have to give this to you. Yes, okay. Okay, I got it. You pick the wrong person because you expect that person to change after you're married. You pick the wrong person because you focus more on chemistry than on character. Number three, you pick the wrong person because the, the man does not understand what a woman needs most. Number four, you choose the wrong person because you don't share common life goals and priorities. Five, you date the wrong person because you get intimately involved too quickly. Six, you date the wrong person because you don't have a deep emotional connection. Seven, you date the wrong person because you choose someone with whom you don't feel emotionally safe. Eight, you date the wrong person because you don't put everything on the table while you're dating. Nine, you date the wrong person because you use the relationship to escape from personal problems and unhappiness instead of fixing it. 
And lastly, you pick the wrong person because he or she is involved in a triangle. My pleasure. Anyone else? Go. First of all, thank you. It's really good. My pleasure. Um, my question was like, you mentioned one of the things like to feel safe, uh, emotionally safe in a relationship. And I find that sometimes, like, if you don't feel safe, or I can talk to myself, but if I don't feel safe, it's not about the person, it's something that I have to work on myself. Um, and how do you know it's about have you been accused of that several times? No. The people tell you that you have this issue, this chisaron, this no. deficiency. Then more than likely it's not you. The people are constantly saying, you know what, you're emotionally needy. Get over it. No. And you're getting that kind of accusation, you're emotionally needy. Okay. But if it's never been, you understand? If no one has ever accused you of it, then it's probably not you. Good? Okay, anybody wants a car, my cards, feel free to take one. And thank you. Go ahead, you have a question? Yeah. Um, how do you know uh, that you're not like barking up the wrong tree, uh, giving up too much, or uh, maybe you're, you're trying too hard or you're, uh, you're forcing it? How do you get that idea? In your, how do you know the difference between forcing it and something that's natural? That's good. Something natural feels good. <laughs> um, it's a very I would love to help you answer that question it's a, it's a little on the vague side in terms of the question I mean is it, you find yourself in the same pattern it's getting the same results how much so the question is how much how do you know when you're not giving enough or because you know it's, it's like sometimes you're asked for things and you don't want to do them but maybe you should because I'm not sure if the, the guy is supposed to be more giving or it's like how Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes you're, you're, uh, you're questioning whether or not um, you should have done something, you should not have done something. Well, let me, let me share with you some, uh, a phenomenal article that was published as the cover story this summer. There is a phenom- there's an incredible Chabad personality named Manus Friedman. Top guy, knows his stuff. Anyway, <clears throat> he um, expounded in an interview something that I really believe in very strongly. The dynamic in Hebrew, what's called mashpia and mekabel. The woman, the man is the giver, and the woman is the receiver. And it's never more true today. Where the man has to be the, according to the Torah, the man is the giver of warmth, the giver of money, the giver of respect. The woman is the receiver. She likes to be the receiver. When you have a flip in that dynamic, or you have a, that dynamic is off, you have problems in the relationship, and then you have, it usually goes off the deep end. So that there is never anything wrong with being the giver, or thinking badly of yourself if you are the giver, and if you're giving in a very generous fashion. Because if she's a good girl, she's gonna, the way of the world is there's going to be reciprocation. People like to always reciprocate to those who give to them. They don't have to plan out, well, I give now this and give now that. Now she might think this. Forget about that baloney. It's all that nonsense. Just be, be mensch-like. Be the giver. They look up to that and they want that. So, follow on to that. Um, in the modern world, right, the woman is also a career woman. Correct. So, appreciate the dynamic. So, giver, receiver, whatever. Uh, what if the woman has this vision or idea that she's 
There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Today, most households are to income. It's about him giving her in terms... They can pool their money, but he at the end of the day has to provide that leadership, has to provide that sense of strength, has to provide that confidence, has to provide the emotional nurturing. She needs it. She could be CEO of Coca-Cola, and everyone could say, you're the best. You're, you're, you're best thing is Swiss cheese. But if the husband doesn't compliment her, she feels like two cents. Go. This is a bit of a question. Um, I hope I won't give you a vague answer. Okay. I just have noted your point of dating explicitly, and I agree it's rather important. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions with that in regards to everyone dating on these dating apps. What about it? I feel like it's rather distracting and overwhelming, and both men and women have a very large choice of people, and they're all... A lot of them are being multiple at once. I think I... So I think I, I stated my position on that. I'm not in favor of that. I hear about the dating apps. I understand they probably have a purpose. I don't really... I'm not a big fan of them, personally. I don't think they do much. They're there because they're just a byproduct of technology today that we can't avoid that. It's not going away. They, they have a role, but they're dangerous. You don't know who you're dealing with. They could be anyone they want to be. They can fake you out. And yes, yes and yes to all your problems. It's an issue. Multiple dating is going on on these apps. All types of things are going on in these apps. But for unfortunately, if people are... Listen, if a person belongs to a community and or wherever that may be, whether it's New York or New Jersey, and I'm, I'm just going to give you my take. You might find it biased, but... It, it, I'll tell you my take. You belong to an Orthodox, you belong to a Jewish community, you go to synagogue, you're involved in the community, you're then gonna know people. You say, I come, I come from the Syrian community in New York, in Brooklyn. Everyone goes to synagogue almost every Saturday. Everyone goes to the, to the, to the local community center. People participate in the local theater productions, etc., etc. That's how I like to see relationships built that way, organically. Where at least I know something about you. You understand? It's when, but these apps are filling the need of the, of the void of people's lives when they don't know people. And they're living on the 50th floor of a building. I, I agree with you, but I think like the reality is that I come from a modern Orthodox community. Right. It's a very close knit community. Right. I think the reality is most people, I think the majority, are dating mostly through these dating apps. That, that's just how it is. I'm not saying they're going away. They're just a segment of your of your war machine, but they can't be everything. They are. You should still be on the lookout from friends, and I would be also calling people like me, Shatchanim, and stuff like that. Try everything. Try everything. Guys, I think we'll end the questions here for some people, but anybody, I'm sure you can kind of choose in the front. We're all going to have some lack refreshments. And remember to keep all good days things is good red wine. So. <laughs> <laughs> good job, Jody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.